Let's turn to Acts chapter 18 this morning. If you're able, would you stand as uh, I read the word of God this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather here today that we might open your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today. Open our eyes through the work of the Holy Spirit and liven our hearts that we might be sensitive to what it says here, that we might know and have the power to apply it in all aspects of our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Be Acts chapter 18. I'll begin in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, Well, if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. They had to beat somebody. okay? And, uh, apparently he was the closest one, so they got hold of him and uh, took out their vengeance on him. And Gallio was not concerned about these things. Uh, he said, go ahead, beat on him. Verse 18. And Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Kentria he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. Uh, now we won't deal with this. This is, this is a pretty neat thing, but Paul took some sort of Nazarite vow. And part of that, if you remember Nazarite Samson, you couldn't cut your hair, uh, touch anything dead, or drink any wine. Some people were devoted to that for their lives, others for a period of time until they um, uh, did some particular work, and apparently that's what has happened here with Paul. That work has been completed, so he can cut his hair. Verse 19, And they came here to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent time there, he departed and passed successfully through Galatian region on Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace, for he, was power, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated.
Now, I realize it may be hard for you to believe as you look at me presently, all calm and well-reasoned and, and rational, but there have been times in my life when I have been plagued by too much excitement and not enough knowledge. Now, I know that that's not common to you, but it is common to me. Now, when exactly these times were are probably a little too numerous to go into detail about, but let's just say I have been over-exuberant in times and uninformed, less informed than I could, should have been. Uh, and as I said, I think it's safe that all of us have been there to some degree about something in our lives. Uh, it's not as if during these times I was a fountain of misinformation. I was just a fountain of partial information, partial information. It would be like this. You have a 17-year-old boy who races go-karts on the weekends, and he wants to tell you all about drift and tow-in angle and camber, and he wants to tell you the right way to drive. Now, you could listen to him and get part of the story, or you could go to Jeff Gordon and get the rest of the story. Okay, somebody who has driven tens of thousands of miles at, at 200 miles an hour approximately, he knows the particulars about what it means to handle a car and to do it correctly. The 17-year-old knows more than the 13-year-old, but he doesn't know as much as the professional race car driver. Such is the same in our lives of faith. Now, none of us have reached, nor will we reach in this life, a state of total sanctification where we are without sin. There will always be sin remaining within us, but as we grow in our faith and as we mature, hopefully we're getting more and more Christ-like. It would be as if we turned out all the lights and had two wax candles here, and one was lit and the other was not lit. Now, you know a, wax, a white wax candle tends to glow with the fire. And as if I brought those candles closer, the one that is not lit, as it got close, would tend to glow as if it were lit. Okay, That's the way that we are in our life. We're growing in the things of faith, and the closer we get to Christ, the more we reflect that glory, reflect that holiness that he has, and it only comes from him. It's not as if we have our own. Whatever we have comes from him. So that's the process of sanctification, growing in the things of grace. It's a lifelong process. We grow in the knowledge of our Lord. We grow in the knowledge of how he calls us to live. We grow in the knowledge of how we can apply the power that is given to us to live out his calling. And we grow in our knowledge of the teachings of the apostles and the teachings of the writers of the New and the Old Testament. Now... In the early days of my marriage, my dad was a, a great golfer, and we played a lot of golf together. We're out one day, and he says, uh, uh, you know, Rand, this, he just fired this out. I'm, he must have had an agenda. He said, you know, Rand, I said, when he, that, was a, that was one of those I better listen up introductions. He said, uh, marriage is like golf. I, I was really interested. I said, yeah. He said, you remember the first day you picked up a club? You weren't any good at it, were you? I said, no, Dad, I wasn't. In fact, you weren't any good at it for a couple of years, were you? <laughs> I said, no. He said, but you kept practicing, you kept working at it, and you were diligent at it, and that would be like in your marriage. You'll get better and better. You'll learn more about it and more about it. 
And, and what happens when you don't practice for, for a couple weeks or don't play for a month or two? What happens to your game? I said, it goes down, Dad. Say, same thing in your marriage. If you don't work at it and practice at it and be attentive to it, your marriage skills will go like this and your relationship skills will go down. And you'll think that after a time, if you work at it your entire life, you will get better and better and better at it. Okay? Your golf game will never be perfect. Okay? There was a time in my life when my, I was a scratch golfer. Okay? And I practiced a lot. I don't think I've been a scratch husband. Okay? <laughs> I'm apparently not as diligent in that. But that's the, the, the thought here. If you work at it and you practice at it, you will get better at it. The same type of thing applies to our, our Christian life. If you put the effort into it, if you work at it, if you are diligent with the means of grace, the worship and fellowship and prayer and, and focus your attention on the Lord, you will draw closer to him. There is always room for improvement in our lives of faith because we are works in progress. Okay? The Christian life is a process. We are works in progress. Okay? Now remember, the Lord calls us to be faithful with what we have. But he doesn't call us to stay where we are. He says, desire the deeper things. Get off the milk, get off the soft food, get into the meat. Get into the meat of his word. If you've been a believer for 30 years and you're still stuck on Daniel in the lion's den, you're in trouble. Okay, You are still drinking milk. It is time to get into the deeper things of the word. Well, our passage highlights a guy who is a work in progress. Now, there are a lot of other things in the passage we're not going to deal with. I want to deal with Apollos, just Apollos. Now, back in, uh, it seems like a whole other life in seminary, I had to write a paper on who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, uh, you would think that, well, you know, traditionally uh, it got into the New Testament because it was thought that Paul wrote it. I think Luther or Calvin or somebody said, only God knows. So the professor said, you, you try to figure out who God knows wrote it. I picked Apollos, and I wrote very extensively on why I thought he was the author of Hebrews. Now, remember, Hebrews is talking about the supremacy of Christ. And it's the supremacy of Christ over Moses and of angels and of everything from the Old Testament. If you ever want to read through Hebrews, you need to read through Leviticus at the same time. So you understand how superior Christ is to the old ways of doing things. Well, Apollos, who is our, our star here, was a Jew from Alexandria, which was a famous center of learning. And uh, Luke calls him an eloquent man in verse 24, an eloquent man, which refers to his speaking ability or to his level of learning and education. Eloquent man in the Greek is used only here in the New Testament. And it combines the two ideas of learning and eloquence. Learning and having the ability to share that learning in an appropriate fashion. Now, Apollos was not only fluid and eloquent as an orator, but his content was correct. He had great knowledge, and he had the great ability to communicate that knowledge correctly. Now, any of you in your field or your professional field, um, at least, well, I'll make it in my field, the really bright guys in theology can convey that in a level that everybody can understand. Okay? It's not as if they have to dumb down theology for the rest of us. They are able to do it in a way that I can go, yes, that's what that means. That's how I'm to understand that. That's what that passage of Scripture means. 
Okay, their brains are a lot bigger than mine, but they can communicate it in a way that I can understand. This apparently is the gift that Apollos had in his natural ability. Now, Alexandria had a large Jewish population at the time of Paul, numbered about a million bodies there. And he was a man who had been part of a Jewish society and a Jewish community. So he had been weaned on the Jewish way of life and, and steeped in it all of his life, probably trained in perhaps rhetoric um, and able to communicate in a manner that held people's attention. He was good at this. Luke describes him as being mighty in the Scriptures. Mighty in the Scriptures. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I think that would be a great... You know, a great way to be described, okay? That guy's mighty in the scriptures, which implies this great raw knowledge of the scripture. Now, there are people perhaps that you've met, and and I know a bunch of them, that just, you know, they have scripture stashed in their memory. And when you say, now, now, where's that that, that passage about? And they're on it already. And and they're just steeped in it and filled with it, and it just comes out of them. Well, Apollos is fervent in spirit, and he's got this great zeal for God, yet Apollos didn't have it all together. He was a work in progress. He was a work in progress. Now look at verse 25. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John, only with the baptism of John. This was a man instructed in the way of the Lord. This is kind of a general instruction. Now, for, for all us good Presbyterians, we're going to know what this word means because in the Greek, the word is katecho. What word do we get from that? Catechism or to catechize. Now, a catechism is a way of learning. It is an, to orally answer, at, be asked and answer questions on a repeated basis. The first thing that I ever learned in high school when I studied Russian was Pavtarenia Matsuchenya. Pavtarenia Matsuchenya. Repetition is the mother of learning. Now, that was drilled into my head, and that's, I'm sure I remember something else about Russian, but I remember that phrase, okay? Well, that's the, what catechizing does. It is repetition. Now, through the Sunday school system, here we will catechize. And I remember Abby, and I will embarrass her, she knew all 110 questions of the children's catechism at one time. Okay? And, and, and just worked through there. Okay? Who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. And it, it just goes on from that. Most of us, good Presbyterians, can answer at least one question from the catechism. The chief end of man. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, we've got that. So on your homework, you'll have to memorize it, I think, six questions. I only gave you six, okay, I only gave you six. That was easy. Well, this is what Apollos has been through. He has been catechized. He has been taught by repeated things and repeated study. Now, this is different than the way that Paul and the other apostles were taught. Remember what happened to Paul. He went off into the wilderness for three years and was taught directly by the Holy Spirit in those times. The other apostles spent three years with Christ, walking with him, living with him, hearing all that he taught. They were taught in a different fashion 
than Apollos was. This is more of a rote memory of, of knowledge and stashing up. So Apollos does not have that, that inspiration and the divine revelation that the apostles and Paul and, and, and uh, the inspiration the writers of the, the New Testament had. He just has the knowledge, but he's very good at understanding the knowledge in depth of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when it talks about um, knowledge of the scriptures, that is graphede, and in the New Testament, it always refers to the Old Testament. So Apollos has a great knowledge of the Old Testament, a great knowledge of the Old Testament. In fact, it says that, that he was boiling up in his spirit. That's the kind of sense he hears, fervent in his spirit, just boiling up. Um, uh, that's also used in Romans chapter 12 and what we read earlier today. And it's something that we should be fervent in spirit. Now, we're not talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit here in Apollos' life. Because if you check down there at um, verse 25, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So that only took him so far in his knowledge of Christ. So what I can... What I could glean here is, is that he is not presently a believer. He, does not, he has not heard the gospel. He is waiting for Jesus to come. He has not been informed yet that Christ has already come. Because the preaching of John the Baptist was what? Prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. Get ready for him. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. So this is what Apollos is preaching. The kingdom is coming. The Messiah is coming. And he's using the Old Testament proofs to show he's a work in progress. He knows as much as he knows. And he is being faithful in the way that he presents that information and teaches that information. And, and, and he uses the word um, aragus. And it means exactness. So when Apollos teaches what he knows... He does it as exactly as possible. Okay? Now, that's the way that we all should teach God's Word. If you go to your physician, you want your physician to be what? Exact. Okay? Well, take, take 50 or 100 milligrams. It doesn't really matter that much. I, I can't remember how much you should take, but either one will be fine. You don't want that out of your physician's mouth. Okay? You want exactness. The same type of thing when we go to Scripture. And none of us will do it perfectly but we are to be as exact as we can when we teach God's Word, whether it is seven-year-olds or seventh-graders or 70-year-olds that we're teaching. Be exact in how you present the gospel because it is very important. But present it. This is what you know. Present what you know. Well, Priscilla and Aquila... Now, we've seen them before. They came to Christ under Paul's teaching, and they hear Apollos in the synagogue one day. Now, why are, what are they doing in the synagogue? Well, this is kind of a transition time within, within the Judaism and Christianity. There's no real church going on here, so they're still hanging around the synagogue. Probably when they hear the Old Testament taught, they are applying it in, in the work of Christ in the New Testament. They are probably evangelizing their friends in the synagogue. And one day they're there and Apollos stands up and he begins to teach. And he begins to talk about the things that he knows uh, about the coming of Christ. And, and uh, you can just see as Priscilla and Aquila sit there, they look at one another and go, he doesn't know the rest of the story yet. 
Okay? He's the 17-year-old who's very excited and communicates what he knows, but he doesn't know the rest of the story. Let's invite him over to the house for dinner tonight, and we'll tell him the rest of the story. I'm reading in here, obviously. So they take him aside, whether it was right there at the synagogue or they had him over for dinner or some fashion, and they begin to tell him about the fulfillment of all that he knows. You know Christ is coming, and they say, he has come. Let me tell you about his miraculous works. Let me tell you about his life. Let me tell you about the grace that cleanses you from sin. All that you have hoped for and have been teaching about Apollos has come to fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that it is at that time that Christ, that Apollos comes to Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how does he receive this? Now imagine... Here you are, Apollos, from Alexandria, the center of learning and, 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 and Jewish learning, and you are, you've got it together, and everybody who, who has heard you speak says, man, Apollos is a great guy, and, and he's just eloquent, and goes on and on and on, and this husband and wife, who are just tent makers, invite you over to dinner, and they begin to tell you about stuff that you've been teaching, and she is doing a lot of the talking, which was not norm, the norm in first century. How did Apollos receive it? Well, he received it in humility and in joy because he understood it was the fulfillment of all that he had been teaching, all that he had been waiting for, looking for. And this is how it plays out in his life. Look at 27. Oh, I'll read 26. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And, when, and then there's some break here. We don't know. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace. So he is already teaching those who have already believed. And this is the great thing. How is he teaching them? Verse 28. For he powerfully, and that's the power of the Spirit there, refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating how? By the Scriptures. Okay, you can imagine somebody who has been steeped in the scriptures and all of a sudden his eyes are open to all that he has been pointing to. And so he uses the scriptures to show the Jews and to show others that Christ has come. This is the salvation that we have all been waiting to understand. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Because maybe you've thought to yourself, well, <clears throat> I'm going to leave evangelism, I'm going to leave that work of the, the church to the professionals or to, you know, those people, I'm going to leave it to the elders or, or something like that because I really don't have it together and I'm wrestling with this. Uh, that, that's not what Scripture says we are to do. We are to take what we understand and, and, and what we know and we are to share it. Okay? Does what you know about God jive with Scripture? Make sure you share that. If you have nothing else, I'm sure from your third grade Sunday school, you remember John 3.16. Start there. Share that. Because the Scripture, the Word of God, is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. This is how the body of Christ works along these lines. Verse 11, 
And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Look at it closely, and what's my job? What is my job? He gave some as apostles, that's not me. Some as prophets, that's not me. Some as evangelists, I do evangelists. Some as pastors and teachers. And the purpose why he gives that to the church, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Okay? My job is to help you come to a fuller knowledge of Christ so that you might grow and serve the Lord in that capacity. So that the work of, of the church and of, 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 of Christ might be multiplied as we are growing in the things of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It is the working together of all. You say, well, I'm not very mature, but you've got a place to work in the body of Christ. Yeah, but I don't know that much. Yeah, but you, you know enough that your life was changed and the miracle of salvation has happened to you. You can share that. Yeah, but, but I just don't know. Then if you're not comfortable with what you don't know, then figure out what you do know and begin to grow. Begin to put those things to use. If God has helped you through a situation or a problem and you have grown in that be ready for somebody to come along in your life who has had that same problem, who is not as far down the road as you are, and who is looking for insight. Let me tell you an event from what happened in this church. This was about two years ago. We had a visitor, and he came, and he came from the West Coast. And then I met him as he walked in the door, and um, I, I asked him about it. He said, well, I'm here for some business. He was on the arsenal or something. And, and he said, well, I go to an EPC church out there. And, and I, I got on the website and I found this one. So I thought I'm only in town for, for this week and this Sunday. So I thought I would come here. And we began to talk some more. He got here early and, and nobody else was around. And he began to share some things of his life and that he was struggling with one of his children in a very, um, in a very difficult and out of the norm issue with a child. Okay, it was not something that I understood or had ever experienced with my children. This was, this was something pretty far off to the edge with what he was dealing with, one of his adult children. And, and so uh, he, as more people came, he went and, and mingled. After worship, I saw him down in the foyer talking to a couple, a long-term member couple from this church who had experienced the same thing with their adult child. It was the only couple in this church that I know have experienced that. This is, you know, a very obscure thing. And they were talking about how they dealt with it. Now, this guy comes across the country to this church for one day, and the Lord puts him in the presence of a couple who are further down the road in dealing with their adult child in that issue. And, and I could just see on this guy's face, his eyes were watering up as they were talking. I'm like, 
this is the work of the Lord. And then afterwards I talked to the couple and I said, did you ever think that the Lord was going to use you in that way? They said, well, we knew there was some purpose for us going through this with our child. And here is one of those reasons. We knew more than he did and we helped turn him to the things of the word that we used. We helped encourage him. And, you know, we, we will never see that guy until we get to heaven probably. But what a difference they made in his life because of the struggles and trials that they had been through. You see, the Lord is using you. Don't wait till you get a full knowledge of Christ to, to, to begin to be used. You will have a full knowledge of Christ when you are in his presence in heaven. Use what you know. Teach what you know. Adhere to the portions of Scripture that you know and live those things out. Okay? Use what you have. Share what you know. Be as exact as you can be. Be willing to be corrected when you are wrong and receive that humbly. And do the work of the Lord that he lays before you. Let's pray. Lord, what, what a great example this is. For we are all a work in progress. We are all coming to grips with who we are according to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We are growing in that knowledge. Some of us grow faster on some days than others. Some of us, Lord, seem to be stuck in the mud. Help us to see the importance of this. That we might not think we, we have nothing to share. If you have come and changed our lives, we have something to share. But we don't want to stay right there. We want to know the deeper things of Christ. We want to get off the milk. We want to get off the soft food. We want to get into the things that cause us to chew and to work and to, to dig deep. And help us to understand, Lord, that the struggles and trials that we go through and how we deal with those and how we grow in those just might be your work in preparing us to care for others who will face the same thing. To care for others, Lord, who are not as mature as we are and need help in their growth. Lord, you are working in each of our hearts. Help us to dig in to your word and to grow in the things of Christ so that we, there might be a fervency and an eloquence and a knowledge of the things of the word in each of us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is 629.